Hi, this is Jim Elliott from Dive Heart, a nonprofit that helps children, vets, and others with disabilities through scuba therapy. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. My students say we want to save the planet. The planet's fine. The planet doesn't need saving. We need saving. The Earth tells us that it's in trouble in a bunch of different ways. It tells us we're in trouble by its effects on us. So you get things like uh, changing disease vectors that are really surprising and harmful. You get food insecurity. You get mass starvation. Basically, you see that the sorts of things that humanity isn't able to recover from are happening more and more. We do not know, as a technology changes, how many people can be sustained with current number of resources. But we are getting very close to a combination of climate change, desertification, and loss of fresh water, over-pumping of underground aquifers, leading to desertification of farmland that could cause a loss of 1 to 2 billion people by 2030. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the Right. And welcome, 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 welcome. To steal from... Oh, what's his name? John Oliver. What's his name, yeah. Yeah. All right, got to turn that up a little bit so I can... I need to blast my uh, ears out be- before I Why? get here around here. Uh, I don't know. It's it's important so to know if I'm actually going out on the air. <laughs> hey, welcome to the show, everybody. And if you were listening at the beginning of the show and you said, wait a second, that opening bit wasn't funny. No, it's not. It's not funny having 8 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. It's not funny in the age of coronavirus. What can happen to, you know, and some of these, uh, th- that's from a film by the way, uh, called Eight Billion Angels. And that's part of our show today. There's something going on here in town called the One Earth Film Festival. And Peggy and I, uh, Peggy and I have been awash in environmental films for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and, yes- and yesterday, literally. Yeah, but I'm bump. Um, I don't, oh, nah, see, and, and I didn't even bring... Uh, the rim shot in here. So, but uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we, uh, yesterday, as Peggy's saying, we went to the uh, Wave Film Fest along with uh, uh, Kayla and Hannah and our friend Michelle Hoffman Trotter was there because she's a filmmaker. One and, of our listeners, Nancy, was there. Yeah. Hi, Nancy Bender. 
and uh, we uh, watched films and talked about what's going. You know, f- cool folks like the guy who did the intro, Jim Elliott, mm-hmm. uh, who does therapy with people in scuba gear. Yep, dive therapy. Scuba- dive therapy, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, today we're talking about these kinds of environmental films, the seriousness of our situation, and sometimes the joy. Uh, we have uh, we, we're going to be talking about soil. We're going to talk about air. We're going to be talking about water. We're going to talk about birds, mm-hmm. piping a, plovers. A good story about birds. A good story about plovers in uh, Illinois and Lake Michigan. Uh, and uh, I hope you stick around for that because you're going to learn a lot. And we're going all over the country to get people to do this. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. When it comes to tree care, it's all about the science. Well, there's love and history and family, too, but you definitely want the best science for your trees. That's why you should contact Bartlett Tree Experts at Bartlett.com. With 120 offices around the world, including Canada, England, and Ireland, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world. Their work is backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. They pioneered integrated pest management or IPM in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. At the same time, they're focused on you and your needs, meaning that they'll do the right thing for your tree and you. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Do you believe plants have the power to change the world? We mean resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, pollution purging plants, and more. Come to Madison, Wisconsin this March 27th and 28th to explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders at Cultivating Connected Communities. A diverse group of professionals and passionate amateurs alike will gather at the University of Wisconsin, and you can be part of it. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. From quilts to the INM corridor to plant truck, the Chicago Flower and Garden Show is going to surprise and delight you in 2020. Focus on Flowers comes to Navy Pier for five beautiful days, March 18th through 22nd. It features stunning floral quilts by the American Quilters Society, the Best in Bloom's Floral Designer Competition, the Garden Gourmet Stage, Kids Activities, and the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki live on Sunday morning. Go to chicagoflower.com for details. More than ever, Chicagoans are looking for trusted resources to help them lead a healthier, more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, still Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach people that support this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our readers are truly committed to improving their health, leading greener lives, and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, organic foods, health products, relaxation options, fitness and yoga classes, green landscapers, energy efficiency experts, and more. Our readers pick up their free copies of Natural Awakenings each month, or they read it on our website because they know it's our area's best source for reliable information about healthy green living. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more and check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. You're hearing some music from a film called Cooked, Survival by Zip Code. It's one of the films in the One Earth Film Festival, the ninth annual One Earth mm-hmm. Film Festival running in Chicago, beginning March 6th, running through the 15th. So if you're anywhere near the city, you need to come by uh, to one of the venues because uh, they're all over the place. It's four counties surrounding Chicago. I think a little bit in Indiana, too. Yeah, I think that's one of the yeah. counties. Um, and, and, and it's a real trailblazing film festival. Uh, why do you say Across that? Across the country. One of the first ones. Oh, I see what yeah. you mean. Yeah, I thought of, you meant this particular one. I'm no, no, say no. Why. Just the One Earth Film Festival of having this gathering annually of independent film producers. Well, in a, a, about environmental yes. films. We mm-hmm. actually have one of those filmmakers in the room with us this morning, and then that is Bob Dolgus. Bob, good morning. Good Dolgan. morning. <laughs> Dolgan. Dolgan. I'm sorry. I was looking, and I just saw, oh, sorry. And I wrote nope, it right nope. on my blog, too. I got it right on the blog, got it wrong in person. Okay, that's how <laughs> that works. Sunday. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. Uh, Dolgan, sorry, Bob. Uh, and uh, he did a film called Monty and Rose. And I'm going to make you move that up just Great. a tad. Okay. So we can get that microphone yep. a little. You don't have to hold so, it. Down. Okay, no, no, stay no, no, up. No, no, no. Okay. All right, we'll get it. All right. There we go. Thanks. Uh, just so you get a little bit closer to it. You're a tall drink of water. <laughs> um, and uh, Bob wrote a story, or rather wrote a story, uh, did a film about a story in Chicago that Peggy and I covered uh, quite a bit last summer. So this this is a quick turnaround uh, mm-hmm. for a film. And uh, we, we're going to get into that in a second, but it involves two birds and then their offspring. Uh, on the shores of Lake Michigan, right here, smack dab on one of the busiest, probably the busiest beach in Chicago, right? Probably, yeah. I'm not sure we could pick a busier beach than Montrose <laughs> to uh, have a couple of uh, endangered birds fledge their young, but, but it happened. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's wrong with those birds? Uh, actually, they were testing us. Yeah. I believe they were testing us. Uh, so we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to go to the phone and see if I can get this name right. Uh, and that, that's Terry Spars. Terry, are you with us this morning? I am, Mike. Good morning, and thank you for, for being on the show. Uh, I mentioned uh, Cooked uh, Survival by Zip Code a moment earlier. Judith Helfen uh, is the uh, filmmaker who put that together. We're going to talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. Peggy and I watched that. But unfortunately, she's got an event on the East Coast. We thought she was going to be with us. That's not going to happen. Um, and uh, But I want to talk about that film a little bit. But I'll, we will start with you, Terry, because you're a producer, you're an environmentalist, um, and you did a film, you produced and were executive producer for the film Eight Billion Angels. And I will start by saying everything in the world is connected. And when I say that, it seems to all focus on our radio show here because a lot of the issues that appear in your film are things that we talk about on this show and in uh, Judith's show and and actually in Bob's, uh, I mean, uh, Judith's film and Bob's film as well um, because uh, I, I, it, when you study the environmental world, you realize that one thing touches another and it doesn't stop. So I want to talk about uh, 8 billion angels. And first of all, obviously, for folks uh, who are casually listening, it it refers to the number of people on the planet. 
And what I want to ask you to start, Terry, is why did you call it 8 billion angels? Why not 8 billion devils, for that matter? (laughs) (laughs) Others have asked me that, and uh, I think it's to provide a a, a sort of a a template of saying that, you know, we're all, you know, uh, born into this world, and we're good people, and we try hard every day to, you know, know, uh, love our families and, and provide for them. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, live on the earth uh, hopefully in, in a good way. But uh, you know, there are eight billion of us in the next in about three years, and uh, there, you know, the collective uh, weight of our humanity is just too much for the earth to bear. And you know, I think we have to look at uh, you know the reverence of life, both human life and and uh, the natural world. And uh, I didn't want to you know label it eight billion devils. <laughs> all right you could have called it eight billion sentient beings you could have called it uh that probably doesn't have the same resonance uh so there you go and so what you do in your film is you look first you start with the premise that we have a lot of people on this planet and start exploring whether the planet can sustain it and and as i said all things come together several weeks ago we had a guy named Doug Tallamy on the show. Are you familiar with him? I do not know Doug. Okay. Doug has written a couple of books. Uh, his latest is called Nature's Best Hope. And, and, I, and I, saw, I apologize to our audience because I keep bringing up this uh, book. Uh, Bob, are you familiar with it? No, I don't know that one. Okay. Curious, Bring, though. Bringing Nature Home, uh, Doug Tallamy wrote in 2007. And then his latest, latest one is called Nature's Best Hope. And he makes the argument that one of the arguments he makes, the, the main argument is that we don't have enough native species. We're getting rid of, we're, we're changing out too many species on our planet. Uh, too much of it for lawn. Yeah, for lawn and, and other nefarious mm-hmm. reasons and, uh, and losing habitat. And as we lose habitat, we lose insect biomass. And you did not actually address this in your film, uh, Terry, but you probably could have had a whole chapter on this in your film. And as we lose biomass... Um, we lose species. You uh, posit that other things we are doing are causing us to lose species and to lose uh, a critical ability to sustain our planet. In fact, uh, Doug Tallamy in his book talks about something called carrying capacity. And one of your interviews uh, in your film uh, addresses that. Uh, And the idea with Doug is that if you have too many of one species in an area, you can no longer sustain that area. And uh, your film, I would say on whole, says if you have too many people on the planet, you cannot sustain the planet. Would you say that's an accurate uh, assessment? Oh, absolutely. And there are numerous assessments out there that have been done. Uh, and some are, are, are quite good. You know, the Global Footprint Network is one, the Natural Capital Project, the you know, Millennium Ecosystem Assessment, which was done by the U.N. at the turn of the millennium. Uh, you know, the uh, World Resources Institute all have some very good assessments of uh, carrying capacity, or what we call our natural capital, our bio capacity. It's what, you know, the renewable resources that we have. And, you know, every expansion of human activity is unequivocally having an impact reducing the population size of other species and raising their vulnerability and rates of extinction. We are clearly exceeding the carrying capacity of the, of the planet substantially. And uh, we, we need to have that honest conversation about our numbers. And it's not an easy conversation to have because it's fraught with all kinds of you know, uh, you know, issues uh, historically.
historically and, and uh, of, of, you know, whether it's racism or colonialism or, you know, uh, reproductive rights. And they're all very valid concerns. Yeah. Well, uh, but it's a conversation that we need to have. Well, we did. Here's the thing. I know you're you're a tad younger than I am. I remember. Oh, you're uh, right. We did. Uh, we did in the 70s. There was the thing called ZPG, zero population growth. And that was the thing in the 70s. And then, uh, as far as I can tell, it disappeared. That conversation stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think it stopped. And you mentioned, you allude to this in your film, uh, China uh, instituting a policy of one child, that sort of thing. And people were horrified. How dare you? How dare you have the government control population? Um, and that's actually an argument you make in your film that it might not be the best way to yeah, go. Hu- human rights right, where, where do they are involved. In On the other hand, uh, to some degree, it was pretty successful. And when you look at 8 billion mm-hmm. people uh, and still increasing, I mean, soon India will be the, the most populous nation on Earth. They're going to they're going to mm-hmm. blow past China at some point. Um, and you you start with you look at the water, you look at the air, you look at the soil. And these are things we all look, we look at on this show all the time. We try to examine all of this. And you and you, and you, right. you, you know, you could have gone on for. 50 or 60 hours in this in this film and you you have right and, you, all, and all these symptoms are under significant stress absolutely yeah uh you talk about overfishing you but mainly you talk about acidification of the oceans as being mm-hmm. a threat uh, go into that just a little bit well i think uh, you know every uh, uh, biosystem that we have is under immense stress by human activity uh, you know as you said the the decimation of our fisheries, the leveling of our forests, the strip mining of our soils, the you know the, the depletion and, and uh, draining of our rivers and aquifers and lakes, and the pollution in you know every corner of the globe, and the you know the extermination of billions of animals, and you know they all have a fundamental upstream. You know if you if you look at these symptoms in their totality, there's you know there's a fundamental upstream cause of all that, and it's just there are too many people consuming too many resources and emitting too many wastes. We have a, a human impact crisis, Mike and Peggy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've looked at every which way to Sunday of how can we reduce consumption? Because, you know, the equation, you know, going back, Mike, to, you know, back in the 70s that, you know, Paul Ehrlich and, and John Halvard came up with is, is our impact on the planet is a combination of the number of us and our affluence, our wealth. And our wealth is our income and our assets and allows us to buy goods and services. Goods and services are made of the raw materials of the world and the energy used to extract them and to fabricate them and deliver them to our doorstep. And the challenge with consumption is, and everyone thinks, oh, we can just reduce our consumption, is no one really understands the magnitude of it. And we literally, all these assessments that I was telling you about, and all the economists I've spoken to, the environmental activists, say we need to reduce our uh, global consumption by about 50% half in order to allow for the abundance and diversity of life to flourish alongside us. And that's an incredible amount of, 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 of impact on the, on the planet. Half of the global consumption would have to be reduced. And to give you an idea just real quickly about what that looks like for each and every one of us, if we were to live sustainably, it's living in a very small apartment, maybe 15 feet by 15 feet with a very small bed, minimal plumbing, minimal electricity for just like a small appliance, like a, maybe a small stove, a small refrigerator, and maybe a, a light for your, for your, and a fixture. And, and it's having no central air, no central heat, no central hot water. It's not having any dishwasher or clothes washer or dryer because you don't have that many clothes or dishes. And it's never eating 
anything but a local plant-based diet and never driving in a car and never flying in an airplane. If we all live that way, all 7.7 billion of us, we could live sustainably. And it's just not going to happen because there are three and a half billion of us who live at that level or above it, including all of us on the, on the call today. We live better than that. Yeah. And we all live in these different countries. We all have different political ideologies, different cultures, and different economic systems. And how are you going to get three and a half billion people to simultaneously give up those material standards of life to live a sustainable lifestyle? It's just, it's just impossible. All right, we have about two. Does that minutes. make sense? Yeah, it may, you know, <laughs> it's 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 terrifying at the same time, and and you know, uh, we we might get a chance to put some of that into practice with the coronavirus when people stop driving and people stop flying and stop meeting in places, and maybe they do have to grow their own food in their backyard just to be safe. I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not being yeah. a fear monger here. I'm saying we don't know. You know, it's already begun to yeah. affect the world economy, and let's see where that goes, but. This is one of the things you point out is that the planet doesn't care. The planet's going to do what the planet's going to do. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and as I've said for years, that it, when it needs to smack us down, it will smack us down. That's the way it's going to work. But you do have a solution. And so we only have a couple, like a minute and a half. And I'm so impressed with your solution. Um, and it is to empower women. Uh, please address that in, in the short time we have left. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, every uh, country that has, you know, gone through what I call a demographic dividend, you know, it's where, uh, you know, the country values or the society values education of women. It values family planning. It, it promotes small families all in the context of human rights. And, you know, when girls are educated, when they're empowered, when they have access to family planning, these countries, you tend to see uh, that they get married later in life. They have fewer children. They space them more. You know, there's a better economic situation at home. Uh, you know, the, the, the maternal health improves. You know, infant mortality declines. And, and, and it's incredible. Nature actually begins to heal because there are fewer people putting you know, less pressure on the surrounding environment. All right. It's an elegant solution. Terry Spar, thank you so much. You can see the film a couple of times. Great, Mike Chicago. and Peggy. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back with more from the Warner Film Festival. From small boat to your dinner table with a quick stop at your doorstep. The seafood at Sitka Salmon Shares comes from a collective of small boat fishermen who respect the ocean and its sea life. They're a community-supported fishery like your CSA. Instead of produce, they bring you responsibly harvested, wild-caught Alaskan seafood. The fish is in season and reflects the limits of nature. You even know who caught the fish. It's right on the box. Sign up today. I did. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. 2019 marked 20 years of faith in place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November to April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. 
Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. You should not have to fight for our planet alone, which is why the 9th Annual One Earth Film Festival celebrates the power of we. From March 6th through 15th, view 26 films in four counties at more than 40 venues in the Chicago region. From climate change to extinction to farming to predators to watermelons, there's something to change your heart and your mind and get you to take action. This is the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. Yeah, we're playing film music all morning here, and this is actually from a site called filmmusic.io. We found out about this from you, Bob. Wow, I had no idea. It's in the credits at the end of Monty and Rose. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. It must be from our our editor. Uh, Probably put it in. Sorry. (laughs) We threw it in there and didn't tell you. Well, I didn't see it either. He's the director, not the editor. Yeah, but it wasn't on my version of it. I couldn't find it. It was on what I watched. Excellent. I I don't know what you were watching, Peggy. Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That is Bob Dolgan, not Dolgus. Well, Bob Dolgan, and we're going to get to him in That's a right. second. Uh, he's the director of Monty and Rose, which is a, a success story. We're talking about the films at the One Earth Film Festival, uh, which is in Chicago from the 6th to the 15th of March. So uh, some of you get this program a little later, but yeah, there's still time to get here. probably, And, and when, look when... up some really cool films. Yeah, and that's the other thing. If, if, you, know, you can go to their site, find the films, and then find a way to watch them. Um, As we mentioned earlier, we're supposed to have Judith Helfen, who is a Peabody Award-winning filmmaker uh, and director of the film Cooked, Survival by Zip Code. We've got a trailer. Are you ready to uh, to roll that, Andrew? So we're going to, since we don't have her, we're going to roll her trailer. Uh, You'll hear it uh, if you're listening on the radio. And if you're watching on Facebook or the live stream on YouTube, uh, you will see it. So here we go. What's the best way to prepare for disaster? It's a question lots of people are asking these days as the planet heats up and we face one unprecedented disaster after another. My interest in disasters started with one specific disaster that took place in Chicago in July 1995, one of the deadliest heat waves in U.S. history so far. We go to extremes in Chicago, and that's why people love Chicago. We go to extremes. I walked into the room and I saw my grandmother lying across the bed, face up. I looked over at the window and it was nailed shut. Sexiness for the news media was it was about the heat. But the real story is why were people in these neighborhoods dying? People weren't dying on the north side. People weren't dying in the Gold Coast. People were dying on the south and west sides. The minute you see the refrigerator trucks, that means there's so many dead bodies that the coroner doesn't have room for them anymore. That's enough. You think it's really about the heat? It's not really about the heat. There is no need for as much poverty in our community as there is. It's a story about these deeper social fault lines that make some members of a city vulnerable and keep others protected and blissfully ignorant about what's happening 
to people who live quite close to them. Do you think they're addressing that? Do I think the city is addressing the extreme poverty in communities of color in Chicago? Is that what you're asking me? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. So what's the best way to prepare for disaster? I guess it depends on where you live. And if you're not moved by that film, especially if you live in the city of Chicago, nothing will move you. Those of us who are, Peggy was here, I was here, I don't know if you were here, Bob. Um, have institutional memory about the summer of 1995. Mm -hmm. And more than 700 people dying because of the heat. And as uh, Judith Helfen points out in her film, it really wasn't, it, you know, yeah, it was the heat, but it was poverty that killed them. And she goes into this very interestingly. Uh, she starts with that and then looks at other disaster preparedness um, uh, some, some of it wasteful, some of it goofy where, you know, the whole drills, millions of dollars being spent, uh, in case the, uh, new Madrid fault mm -hmm. gives way, uh, in the central part of our country, but whole, whole, uh, exercises with people and uniforms and saluting each other and computers. And, and here we are, uh, just in case the new Madrid fault gives in, you know, 2037 or. And then she 20... looks at Katrina and she looks at Hurricane Sandy and Chicago. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, says, and it makes you wonder, <laughs> why aren't we doing this kind of disaster preparedness, which is eliminating poverty? Take all that money. Move it someplace else. And you can see the evolution of the film. I got the feeling, and I, w I wanted to ask her about this. I got the feeling that uh, she started this by looking at the heat wave in mm -hmm. Chicago that killed all those people and then started asking questions. And as she asked questions, it led to other questions and then other, you know, she like I said, covered the New Madrid. They do a tornado. She, show she shoots a uh, film of tornado preparedness in the city of Chicago. Millions of dollars being spent and people uh, playing hurt people. And, and now I understand that you might want to do that. The importance of it. The importance of it. But how many people are killed by tornadoes each year in the city of Chicago? She says one. And that's an average. Yeah. So that and I'm betting that goes back years, decades, probably. So you can average it out to one. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's an, the interesting quandary of having that preparedness versus taking care of the disaster that's already here. And she's trying to redefine disaster in her film. Right. Uh, a very, very thought-provoking. Uh, so that's called uh, Cooked Survival by Zip Code, the idea being, you know, she, she shows a map of where the poor people are and mm -hmm. where the people died. And it, <laughs> there's a correlation. Yes, yeah, Bob? I've, well, I've read the book also, Heat Wave, as well, that it looks like that's yeah. Based yes. Heat wave has brought think, it. Yeah, yes, part and, of I, this. and I think what's uh, uh, really scary because I, I live in the uptown neighborhood, and that was one of the um, the areas that really was affected as well. And how much things maybe haven't changed that much. And I'd be curious to see how the film addresses that in terms of people's well being. And um, you know, do, do they have air conditioning? Do they have you know immediate 
medical uh well that's the other thing is that people wouldn't even open their windows there's uh with she talks to orrin williams uh an activist in chicago and i know him uh from years ago uh growing home home and he's uh you know yeah it gets people to grow their own food in the city of chicago and he's and he talks about growing up here and he says you know 20 years before that in 1995 people would have had the windows open. They would be sleeping in the park, uh, go to the lake, anything you could do to cool off. And now they're so terrified of of crime that they nail the window shut and die because of it. Uh, But as he points out, that does not happen in Lakeview. That does not happen in other areas of the city. Um, and interestingly, and, and, and I'm going to mention this right now, Bob, you're going to be around for the third segment here because we're going to end all of this with a happy story. With it. We're going to have a happy ending, okay? We're going to have – we're going to talk about a film that uplifts you. Birds running on the beach. Because I, I'll be really honest. Um, I was, you know, talking to – Kathleen and I said, I'm going to be watching some of these films. She said, mm, I'm going to go read my murder mystery, okay? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and yeah. B- believe me, I understand that response because we're doing such damage to the planet. It's hard to have a really positive spin on things, mm-hmm. uh, which is why it's such a relief to have your film. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely the part of the goal is to tell a small success story. Uh, and we can get into this more, but that, you know, makes people feel good and uh, among a lot of not so good stories. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, folks should know that they can go to oneearthfilmfest.org uh, and find all the information. You go to my website, mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, uh, and find and, – and there's uh, just an amazing – yeah. A group of films. I mean, we wanted to cover all, and some of these we're going to cover later and, in the year because I, uh, yes, and go ahead. Cassandra just, Cassandra West, who is helping to coordinate the entire film festival, um, just wrote to us, we have 26 insightful, delightful, sobering, eye-opening, thought-provoking, vital films at this year's festival with facilitated post-film discussions, bringing in local experts and lots of opportunities for people to get involved and take action. Well, yeah. Uh, for instance, Judith is going to be at a couple of the showings of her film. Terry Spar is going to be there, so you can talk to him. Bob, uh, you're going to be at the showing of your film. How come you only have one showing? I, I didn't know you could have more than one. <laughs> Cassandra, sign there. him up for come more. On, Cassandra, give him another a shot. I will be there March 14th, Thatcher Woods Pavilion uh, at noon out in the western suburbs. So. Uh, and we're going to get to that in a second, but uh, at, as Cassandra says... There's a little bit of, they're not all horrible. It's not yeah. gloom and doom all the way across the board. Yeah, you're going to see some of that. because. But uh, you're going to be inspired to get out and do something. I mean, and that's the whole point. The power of we. It's get out there, change the world. Uh, all right. Uh, we will be back with Bob Dolgan. We're talking about the One Earth Film Fest. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. Did you know it can take up to three liters of water to produce just one liter of bottled water? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Over 22 billion water bottles end up in landfills each year, and far too many end up in our oceans and waterways. According to the Environmental Working Group, about 40% of bottled water is actually regular tap water that may or may not have gotten any additional treatment. 
They also confirmed there was at least 38 different low-level contaminants in bottled water and an average of eight chemicals. So ditch the plastic water bottles, folks. Choose to filter water and use reusable bottles for your own health and to reduce plastic waste in landfills. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. This is Mike Novak. For weeks, Peggy and I have been talking about how easy it is to support clean energy thanks to Hero Power. And now they're backing that up by offering you $25 off to join the Hero Power Clean Energy Program. You get 100% of your electricity consumption matched with Green E certified renewable energy certificates every time you pay your electric bill. Plus, you'll never pay more than the ComEd rate. You'll know where your money is going without extra costs or termination fees. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. You still pay the ComEd basic electric rate. Sign up in less than two minutes and Hero Power will handle the rest. Plus, you can get a $25 credit off your first bill when you sign up and mention that you heard about Hero Power on the Mike Novak Show. Support clean energy now at MyHeroPower.com. I switched. You should too. Go to MyHeroPower.com. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're working on our science every show. Well, the elm leaf beetle uh, and elm flea weevil are the two main ones that hit the elm trees, the hybrid elms. Elf leaf beetle. Elm leaf beetle. El- elm leaf beetle yeah. and the flea. Elm flea weevil. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easy for you to say. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on most of these smart talk radio stations. Come on, you say that fast. Chicago's first factory-farmed animal welfare town hall is coming to Dovetail Brewery on Wednesday, March 11th, when Crate Free Illinois presents the powerful film Carnivore's Dilemma. Mike Novak will host a panel of animal welfare leaders from organizations like the Humane Society, Mercy for Animals, and Food and Water Watch. They'll talk about where your meat comes from and whether it's possible to achieve social justice for family farms. For more information, go to CrateFreeIL.org. Back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. And Bob Dolgan, you probably recognize this music. Absolutely. So that's uh, Congress of Starlings, uh, Andrea Bunch, and Aaron Tedesco. Uh, they made the music for our film, and uh, it was just a huge part part of the film. And um, I'm not sure there could be music that would go any better with the story. <laughs> so thank, thank you to them. Um, and you but, can go to uh, congressofstarlings.com to find their music. And they only ask you like for a buck fifty to download a song. I mean, it's great. Yeah, so. it's really I, – I mean these songs, including the, – they went above and beyond by writing an original song called The Gift, which I really didn't expect 
at all when we uh, started talking about the idea of them making music for the film. Mm-hmm. So, and it turns out I know Andrea Bunch, and now <laughs> I realize we got to get him on the show. We got to get him in here to play some of their music. That would be great. Yeah, we just I was so just, I'm going to yeah I'm go gonna ahead. I will make this the, up. Make connection, the connection and yeah. anything we could do to uh, to do that would be great. And and I want to say some one thing real quick before we get to uh, Bob and his his film. Uh, some of the other inspiring films at the One Earth Film Festival are The Biggest Little Farm, um, The Eight-Year Quest of John and Molly Chester uh, as they trade city living for 200 acres of barren farmland and a dream to harvest in harmony with nature. That's one of the films there. Um, you can also find, uh, I was looking at some of the ones, Seasons of Change on Henry's Farm. Uh, we're going to be talking about that later in the year. Um uh, epic Yellowstone: Return of the Predators. A success. There's another success I'm, story. I'm going to that one actually. It's at Nature Museum, uh, Peggy Notemart Nature Museum, on uh, March 8th, right? Uh, yes, it is at 12 p.m. Yes. Um, and uh, that's such a great story uh, at uh, Yellowstone. And um, uh, regenerate the regeneration is one of the films. Hike the Divide about a, a, a millennial that goes out onto the Continental Divide Trail. Um, lots of great stuff there. I mean, on and on and on. It just, it, there's, whatever you're looking for, it will be there. However, I'm going to tell you to go see Monty and Rose because I've watched it, Peggy and I have watched mm-hmm. it. And like I said, we covered this story last year in Chicago. Uh, basically, uh, I'm going to let you tell this really quickly, Bob. How did you get involved in this? Right. So I, uh, I've been a birder really my whole life. And uh, I was just sort of building up my 2019. We have a lot of lists in birding. So we have our life lists and our year lists right. and our state lists and county you lists. You guys are all OCD. Yeah. <laughs> it's somewhat of an obsession for sure. Um, but I was just kind of building up my, my list for 2019 and heard that there were piping plovers and Montrose, which yeah. is um, a good good bird to add to the, to the list. Well, why? Uh, well, uh, for one... Uh, there are only 70 pairs in the Great Lakes population left. Okay. Um, and we, we only get a chance to see them uh, traditionally along the lakefront maybe once or twice a year. They might show up and then you, all the birders call each other. They get on the text That's and go, right. they're piping blubbers at yeah. the lake right now. <laughs> exactly. And Chicago so we go running. The Facebook page blows up. Yeah. They, yeah all the texts and Facebook pages yeah. are blowing up. And, and so, Instead, you had a couple of them come and it looked like they were going to nest. Yeah, and so I was at home, and uh, I think I was in the middle of some uh, busy time with work or something, and I got a text that said they're actually showing nesting behavior, and it was just so like unexpected and and extraordinary. Um, and I wasn't able to get out for a few more days, but you know, I got by the time I got there, um, other people had been uh, guarding the the tiny little nest scrape, and an egg had been laid. By the time I was there, an egg had been laid, um, and so I I joined the first group of kind of volunteer monitors. And um, at first, people were just standing around the, the nest scrape, right. physically protecting it from any passersby or any and, beach activity. And, and dogs uh, not dogs on leashes. on and off leash yeah. could pose a hazard. And, and so eventually we got rope fences up, and this is still about the first week of June. Uh, IDNR and, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife did that. And, um, and then we had a, the, the volunteer effort just became bigger and bigger. Now, at the same time, uh, I started doing some filming, and some of it was just me going on my own YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and just posting some comments about what had happened on any given day. Uh, but ultimately, I enlisted uh, a, a guy named Mitchell Wankus, who has uh, a background in nature uh, videography, 
who came in and 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 did started to do some serious filming, and that so gave that us wasn't, just you, enough. You're not the camera operator. I'm not the camera operator. I'm much more of a a, a writer and and a project manager uh-huh. and, and sort of uh, the person who had the vision for the effort. But um, Mitch, Mitch came in and and that that immediately lifted the stature uh, of the quality of the film we could take. Uh, one of the challenges we have in birding is that almost everyone out there is taking amazing photographs and video. So how could, would we differentiate ourselves in terms of the the video uh, to make it something that could look like a film? And and once uh, we were able to do that, that kind of well, what I think, was it that separated somewhat. it? I don't know the technical pieces, but it was something that looked, would look really good on a big screen. <laughs> Well, and, zoom, um, <laughs> a real clear zoom, right? Yeah, and and uh, and and also, I mean, a lot of the film we were trying to—at least I wanted to—not only focus on the bird story, which was compelling, but also the surroundings of Montrose Point and the beauty of the lakefront, and introduce that to people yeah. and have people look at the lakefront through a, 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 a literally a new lens. And and uh, I think we really were able to to do that. And. So, One of my earlier thoughts was just we just do a whole piece that was just on Montrose Point, how pretty it is, how yeah. many birds stop by. But then the the plover story just kept going and going, and then and then of course in it. the middle of this, the the lake level rises, and the first nest is destroyed, and you you rescue the eggs. They didn't make it, and then remarkably, the plovers come back. They they're not going to give up. They're going to they and they build a second nest. And in the middle of this, we have the Mambi concert that was scheduled right. twenty five thousand people that were going to be within walking distance of right. this nest right all of this happening and people freaking out and then plus critters so it had to be caged right. off <laughs> yeah you've got and volleyballs yeah. wonderful yeah. you've got wonderful night shots of all these critters going by the caged area they finally caged in right. the uh the plovers right. they could yeah. get the believe me the plovers could get through they weren't they weren't kept in the cage it was just to keep critters that's right out. yeah yeah yep. that's a good point a lot we got that yeah, question a lot couldn't get in that's but right the but the skunk the skunk said yeah. one of my funniest uh i think anecdotes about that was that people will say to us like well why why were you worried about rabbits because in the film there are a couple of shots of mm-hmm. this rabbit kind of next to the cage and you're kind of like well rabbit seems harmless and uh, Brad Semmel, who's with IDNR and is in the film, <laughs> he said after one of the screenings that, well, I don't know, but every night I'd wake up to that uh, that image and I'd see the rabbit with its <laughs> paws up on the cage. And I don't know what it was doing, but it was a concern. And it's so you just, eyes, yeah. Yeah, yeah so you just learn like some different things. Even I've lived near the lakefront for 20 years. I didn't know there were many skunks and raccoons and, we and said, stray dogs. Yeah, we said this is a, a, a has a happy ending. And of course, the uh, for folks who live here, they know that the plovers hatched uh, three chicks, two of them survived, they fledged, they flew away, and now you're hoping Monty and Rose come back this year. Right. So um, there's uh, an 80% likelihood that a, a, a nesting pair that's had success at, at a site will return to it. So Fantastic. We're well, hopeful if you want will. more information, go to oneearthfilmfest.org, go to montyandrose.net. Uh, you can find all of the films there, and you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. So uh, thank you, Bob, for being on the show. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Worf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. 
Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need Welcome back. To the- <laughs> you, you, you're looking like you just ran a marathon. I just did. <laughs> I just ran around looking for my cell phone. This is the world we live in. If you lose track of your cell phone, your life is over. You feel, uh, but I, but I, but I did track you it. You got down. it! Yay! Yeah. Okay. There it is. Ah, all right. You talk. I'm just. I'm gonna. I've, I'm gonna get my oxygen here. <laughs> yes. Go. Go uh, get some oxygen. Well, well. Yesterday we were at the Wave Film Fest. At Columbia College. Yeah, I was going to bring up Rick DeMaio earlier, and it went, flew out of my head when we were talking about climate and uh, and and just different things going on. I, I I don't know the point I was going to make, but uh, there was something that he said that related specifically to one of the films we were talking about earlier. But um, you can go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and see Rick DeMaio mm-hmm. doing his thing. I did uh, some live streaming. Of his presentation, you will learn a lot. If yeah, you watch you, one or both of those segments. If you see the second one, if you see the first one, uh, that goes on for a while. But the second one's pretty short, and it's specifically about the Great Lakes and water levels in the Great Lakes and why these things are happening uh, recently. And it has to do with you know temperatures and ice cover and lack of ice cover and cloud cover and lack of cloud cover and uh, lack of cold. Yeah, that doesn't allow the lake to evaporate. Well, one one point he brought up that. Uh, Rick and I were discussing afterwards, uh, for those of us who live close to the lake, or even if you live out west and you look towards the lake in winter as you're driving in on the Kennedy and you see the clouds over the city and over the lake, that hasn't been happening very much this year. Mm-hmm. The lake, he, I think he said, is six. Lake Michigan is six degrees warmer this year, six or seven degrees warmer wow. Wow. So than there, last year. Yeah, there you go. And it's like 5% ice cover yeah. or something at yeah. this point, and it's only in the inlets is where... You know, probably up in uh, Door County because I went up there. And on some of the rivers coming in. Yeah, exactly. So uh, do do we want to give away some tickets? We got some tickets to give away. To what? Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Okay. Coming up at the... And we're going to be there on the 22nd of March. Mm -hmm. At uh, Navy Pier. At Navy Pier from 9 to 11. Uh, The doors open at 10. But so you line up and you pound on the door and say, we... Let us in. No, they can all come in as roadies. Uh, That's fine. That's it. Perfect, perfect. Uh, or, or as we used to do when we went to the main uh, theater in Royal Oak, Michigan, when I was a kid and I went to the, for 35 cents, uh, would see the feature. Um, we'd sit there and, and I can remember this. The kids all going, we want the show. We want the show. So, so, so they would put the show on just so they didn't have to listen. Uh, no, they put <laughs> it on whenever they darn well felt like ah. putting the show on. But we would still go, we want the show. So we have um, Hannah and Kayla are monitoring Twitter 
So they're going to put something up there to win a pair of tickets. Aha. Uh-huh. And also, what do we want to say? Third caller at 877-711-5611. Yep. To win a pair of Chicago Flower and Garden Show tickets. We make it easy for you. Yeah. All and right. we may give a few more away than that, too. But third caller at 877-711-5611. And you get a free set of Flower and Garden Show tickets. Parking is on you, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, well, or mass transportation. Yep. yep. There you go. That might be the best way to get down there. Oh, you know, and I was reading, holy smoke, about the lakefront, talking about Lake Michigan and the the flyway where the bicycles are supposed to go over. You can't get from the north side of that flyway to the south side because on the north side mm-hmm. all is ice yeah. and broken up. And I, I'm trying to remember the quote. It was something talking about a pile of rubble and asking if that was the new normal. Yeah. Yikes. Um uh, well, coming up uh, on the show today, we're very, very pleased uh, to, you know, we're flipping it a little bit today. Normally, we talk gardening in the first hour, and we do the environment stuff in the second hour. Turned out we had the film festival mm-hmm. in the first. So, we've got our buddy Dan Gibbs, the Chicago backyard farmer. Uh, yeah, it's March. Holy smoke, it's March. And, and I've got to get my pepper seedlings started oh, today. I haven't gotten anything started. <laughs> no, All right, we'll find I. out what you need to do next. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter is a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an Arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. The Chicago Flower and Garden Show wants you to focus on flowers from March 18th through 22nd at Navy Pier. Admire displays like the 75 hanging quilts or two dozen beautiful display gardens. Participate in the Get Growing series educational seminars or the Make and Take workshops. Watch top floral designers compete in the Best in Blooms event or see fantastic dishes come to life at the gourmet stage. Be in the audience for the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on Sunday morning. To learn more, go to chicagoflower.com. Whether you're a garden professional or a fervent amateur, explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders. Cultivating Connected Communities on March 27th and 28th is a gathering of diverse ideas and people at Allen Centennial Garden on the University of Wisconsin campus. You'll talk about resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, and more. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. 
You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Milecki. You know, someday we're going to fix this, Andrew, so that I can when I when I when I I don't have to go jacking up the uh, the volume there, but uh, that's okay. For today, nah. What would what would you do if it were fixed? What would I complain about? All right. Oh, why uh, am I getting this echo? <laughs> see, now it's your turn. Uh, in our studio, <laughs> see, hello. This is what happens. <laughs> so, what, no, suddenly you're like super hollow. Must be because his mic's open or so. I don't know. I I think that uh, is, uh, yeah. So all I got to say about that is thanks, Mike Novak. Okay. Uh, welcome back to the show, and look who's in the studio. It is our buddy, Dan Gibbs, the Chicago Backyard Farmer. What the heck are you doing here, dude? It's uh, it's only March 1st. I know. This is this is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm pretty excited to be here. Um, you know, as we're rolling into March... You know, people automatically start thinking about gardening again, and there are some there are some fun activities that are starting to get onto the calendar, and uh, you know we can start telling people about. Uh, yeah. Well, and one of them is next Saturday that you're doing for the Chicago Community Gardeners Association, uh, and that is uh, it's interesting because they say it's at the uh, Chicago Center for Green Technology, which technically does not exist anymore. Hmm. Okay, it was disbanded. But those of us who remember it by yeah, that name. Yeah, but you know, if you look it up, I mean, you can, I went to Wikipedia because I went, wait a second, that's not around. Mm-hmm. And It's that funny-looking building. Right, on North Sacramento, yeah. but I looked it up and it said it, it, it was disbanded in 2014. The building's still there, and mm-hmm. some of the, the gardens are still there, and I guess the presenting space, I don't know who runs it anymore. I don't think it's the city of Chicago, or if the city of Chicago does, they don't call. See, what happened under Rahm Emanuel was he said, yeah, that green stuff. Ah, who needs that? Uh, it's true. I mean, I, I'm, you know, you can't convince me that he gave a rip about anything. I mean, he canceled the gardening awards program. So Peggy and I had to start another one called Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, as you know, because you were a judge. Right. Um, but that's that was sort of the Emanuel administration. And now I'm I'm looking with trepidation at the uh, Lightfoot administration. I understand a bunch. I got an, an email from a friend of mine the other day about a bunch of high schoolers who went to City Hall the other day and demanded that the Lightfoot administration start paying attention to environmental issues. I've been yelling about it on my show for months now because mm-hmm. there's no clue, no no sign at all that she's doing anything. I mean, I saw a, uh, I saw a, a, a self-congratulatory email that came out from City Hall the other day about all the things they accomplished. I don't think the word environment was in there once, okay? Mm-hmm. Soil was probably not in there, you know. Uh, gardening yeah. was certainly not in there. Um, and um, my, fe- my feeling is stop. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back, Lori Lightfoot administration. And according to the Internet 
the city of Chicago still owns the building. Okay. They probably own the building. I don't think they officially call it the Chicago Center for Green Technology. Regardless, you're going to be there on Saturday doing a workshop. Um, and I don't, okay, I don't have it right in front of me. Hold on. It's right here because I've got it uh, here. A vegetable workshop and tool distribution. Uh, next Saturday, I believe it's uh, at 9.30 it starts. You That's re- correct. You register at 9, and it's for community gardeners. Correct. And community gardens. So if you've got a community garden in the city, and there are very there are a lot of them, and a lot of people associated with them, it only it costs 5 bucks to right. get in there. So what are you going to tell people next week? Yeah, so uh, for those folks who aren't familiar with CCGA and what they do within the city of Chicago, if you imagine a group of people whose sole purpose during the months before the growing season to, you know, once you get to the point where everyone's outside, all they want to do is help support uh, those of us in the, within the city of Chicago who work with um, community gardens. So they're an incredible support structure, whether that is um, with with these tool distributions, with multiple plant distributions during the course of the growing season, with, um, you know, workshops, with different partnerships. But, you know, so the what specifically is happening on March 14th with, uh, with CCGA um, at the Center for Green Technology Building there, there's a workshop that I'm going to be giving, which is going to be on early season um, spring gardening, but also kind of wrapping your brain around just even opening your garden in the spring and and the process of doing that. But then they have the tool distribution for for anyone who is part of a community garden. So if you want to come to the workshop, anyone can do that. If you want to be part of the of the tool distribution, that's for Chicago community garden, so gardens is, only. So is this to borrow tools for the season or is it new, new tools they keep? New, it's, it is new tools that the community gardens each mm-hmm. will be able to take one. Okay. Correct. And do they also do anything of bring in your tools for sharpening and repair or anything like that? Not, not at this particular okay. workshop, but, uh, you know, so... Right now, this is kind of the the workshop for kicking off the growing season, even though it may not look like it outside yet. <laughs> All right. So, what are you going to tell people? I mean, I know that we're we're okay. Here's here's the way it works for me. All right. Every year, I I tell people, hey, it's early spring. You want to get out there. You want to get your cool season vegetables out. Mm-hmm. And then personally, it's suddenly with me. It's suddenly May. And I realized I've missed the window of opportunity for the cool season vegetables. And I think part of the reason is because weather in the spring is so inconsistent. It's kind of hard to figure out when you should do that. So what do you tell people? How do you how do you ramp up in the spring? What are you looking for? Yeah. So springtime, you know, especially here in Chicago, where, you know, we've all seen, you know, Either a foot of snow on St. Patrick's Day or 75 degrees. It or could, it, or two snowfalls in April last year. Right. But they don't – those didn't hurt the gardens at all. Right. That's the thing we need to say because they're not accompanied by zero degrees. They're – you know, it's 32 degrees and it's snowing and it forms a, a mulch blanket and it really doesn't hurt anything, does it? That's correct, especially if, if you're if you're interested in putting items into your garden that actually – 
like that kind of weather. So in the springtime, you know, the two things that you kind of want to think about specifically with your garden is going to be drainage and it's going to be your organic matter. Um, you know, a lot of times your garden's going to be pretty compacted. There's going to be puddles of water everywhere. You want to give that water somewhere to go when you get into into late March. You know, so just going around with a digging fork and mm-hmm. opening up the garden a little bit, let that water drain out. But also, you're going to have a lot of leaves. You're going to have a lot of old vegetable matter in your in your garden that's going to be you know somewhat broken down. You're going to want to help that break down so that you actually have a nice clean space to be planting in. So that's so. How do you do that? You know, it could be a couple different things. It could just be going through and loosening with your digging fork, um, you know, and just kind of. The organic matter is going to look like sheets almost. You want to break those sheets up so that, you know, more water and oxygen, everything can kind of penetrate your mm-hmm. garden. You know, I, I see that. Okay, I, I did something like that recently. I was talking about it the other day with somebody. Um, I had work done on my house, uh, and we're going to have Ron Calgill on this show to talk about all the insulation work mm-hmm. that got done in my house. However, guys were outside in front uh, standing in my garden, mm-hmm. and... It wasn't frozen. That's part of the problem this year. If you had work done on your house or your trees or something, there was no frozen ground where people right. could stand and not do damage. to. So they were compacting the soil in front. In fact, I had daffodil shoots coming up, and they were smushing those guys. Sure. Um, so I looked at the, the few days ago. I went, you know what? I'm going to do what you said, the digging fork. Mm-hmm. I started teasing up the soil because I knew we were going to get a snow. Right. And I thought, okay, all that water will percolate in there. It's going to help, and it's going to air this out. And it, and it allowed me to take some of the leaves and try to protect some of the new shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, um, and the same thing in what I do in my lawn, uh, l- what little lawn I have. I have enough to walk in my bare feet in the backyard. Mm-hmm. At this time of year, you can see it's all matted down. Sure. And then I just tease it with a rake, with a leaf rake, not not the heavy rake, but the leaf rake, and just tease it a little bit, mm-hmm. and, and and that loosens things up, doesn't it? It's and it's a great thing to do, and you don't even have to do that much. But while you know, different areas of Chicago have different types of soil, but there are going to be areas of Chicago where the soil is going to be very fine, and it's going to be very easily compacted. So if you could just do a little bit to give that water somewhere to go. You'll do quite a bit of good for um, opening that. Well, soil part out. of it is what did you do uh, in the fall? What are we doing? Okay, we're going to. We, we can't see him at all. I know. <laughs> I know. I keep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope we can hear him now at this point. Probably raise that just a little bit, but just, it, it just had gone tad. back to right. And, well, some of it's also the the mic stand we probably see, just went. Mm, and it cuts on its through own. your face as well, Peggy. So just I, letting I've you got know, plenty of space. Uh, here. Yeah, when you're not typing, okay. Uh, so there we go. Oh, no, no, we, can, we can't do this. All right. Let's, it's got to go this way. Cause yeah. Well, what, one thing I also noticed a lot, at least in, in my yard, is how much, because it never froze, there seems to be lots of heaving everywhere. Sure. Not of the plants, but of the soil. There's like these little mounds of icy... Soil yeah, everywhere. you had a lot of heaving. I don't, I don't see that in my yard, and I didn't have that as badly in, in any of my gardens. But before autumn was over, I really did put quite a bit of oh, yeah. um, chopped up leaf mulch. Sure, and I have so. leaves, leaves and and straw and, everywhere. Yeah, I got straw as well, and that was one of the points I was going to make. The time to to get your soil ready. You talk about drainage in the spring. The time to do that was last fall. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and this is why we tell people in the fall, do some prep. 
And if you can loosen up that soil and then you put the mulch, uh, whether it's leaf mold or other things, straw or whatever, it's going to pay dividends in the spring, isn't it? Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of kind of getting your mindset for, you know, whatever season you're in, what could you be doing to make the next, you know, the, the upcoming season a little bit less work? All right. So we, we've, we've looked at our gardens. Um, let's assume it's not standing water because we haven't had that much moisture lately. Uh, it should be fairly okay to, mm-hmm. to work. Obviously, one of the things you always remember in the spring, especially the early spring, do not walk on that soil because you're compacting it, aren't you? That's, that's correct. And if you, if you think about you know, what your footprint's going to do to that garden, the, the pressure you're giving to the soil isn't going straight down. It's going down and out. So you're actually compacting a larger area than just your own footprint. Now, if you need to walk on it, can you use a board or a big piece of cardboard or something you if know, you have to go through it? Yeah, it, I think the whole idea is, you know, keeping whatever invasion you have of the garden during this time of year is as minimal as possible. If you have to do it, you have to do what you got to do. Um, but it, but a board actually does work. I've done sure. that. You if know, you could spread out that pressure. Yeah, or a big sure. piece of cardboard or something. And uh, sure. Cardboard, yeah, you're still going to compact the soil, I think. I think it's got to be something uh, really solid or yeah. some type of board. Something sure. pretty solid. All right, so that gets us to the idea of what can you plant when this is that's the critical point and how do you make that determination so you know a couple things to think about for this time of year one thing that you want to have in mind is what's our last frost date here in the chicago area and you kind of want to think for for us it's going to be somewhere between april 18th to say april 25th um is going to be the range we're I looking thought it was may 15th when i when i just looked up it was saying it was it was end of april today Really? So okay. We're, we'll do a little search on that because I think maybe it's you know with the with with things getting a little bit warmer, maybe it's gone uh, earlier. Drop down. Okay. And, and if you ask Rick DeMaio, he, you know he tells you right now, uh, winter and and summer are easier to predict than spring yeah. and fall nowadays because we don't. He doesn't. It's so hard for meteorologists to figure out what's going to happen yeah. in the spring and the fall because the weather's changing and so rapidly. Right. Chicago Botanic Garden is still saying May 15th, okay. average last frost. Yeah, but I'll tell okay. you, average yeah, last it's frost. average for the but whole that area. Means that, that you might get one later. I don't see a last – I mean, in the minute I say that, of course, it'll have frost well, on May at, 30th. Look at the so. snow we had the end of April last year. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so you got to be careful about that. Right. And, uh, you know, so uh, – Thinking with that last frost in mind, you want to think about your two groups of plants for early season. What could you be doing that can tolerate the frost? And what could you be growing in a protected area just to, so you can get immediately in the ground once that last frost is, has passed? Well, but there are some you're going to put in before and assume that the frost is, you know, a, a light frost is not going to hurt them if, if they're just germinating or if they're, mm-hmm. you know. There. And what can you put in with a row cover or anything like that? Yeah, exactly, because you right. can manipulate the, that those areas as well. Right. All right, so when we come back, uh, we're going to have Dan Gibbs, the Chicago backyard farmer, tell us which specifically plants he likes in the spring. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we're going to adjust the microphones. Tired of waking up hot and uncomfortable? Start sleeping cool on the reinvented Temper Breeze by Tempur-Pedic. It's engineered with a revolutionary cooling system that pulls excess heat away from your body and allows maximum airflow to help you sleep deeper. During our President's Day event, save up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. 
Now ranked number one in customer satisfaction with retail mattresses by J.D. Power. Find a retailer today at TempurPedic.com. For J.D. Power 2019 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. At the end of each day, cafes and restaurants often throw out pre-made meals that did not sell. It's a waste of food, it costs money, and it's bad for the climate. When food breaks down on a landfill, it releases methane, a potent greenhouse gas. Some eateries offer discounts on items that would otherwise end up in the trash. When Sabine Valenga was a graduate student, she loved discovering these deals and connected with others who did too. We were all kind of scrappy international students living in very expensive cities like Boston and New York. So to help promote these deals and encourage more businesses to offer them, the group created an app called Food for All. It allows eateries to post and sell surplus meals at a steep discount. So far, the two-year-old company works with about 250 restaurants in Boston and New York City and plans to expand to more cities this year. Valenga says the platform benefits the climate, restaurant owners, and anyone who loves to find a great deal on food. Restaurants get to generate extra profits from what otherwise would be wasted. People can get access to quality meals at affordable prices. And, of course, we all contribute to a better planet with less food waste. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. From small boat to your dinner table with a quick stop at your doorstep. The seafood at Sitka Salmon Shares comes from a collective of small boat fishermen who respect the ocean and its sea life. They're a community-supported fishery like your CSA. Instead of produce, they bring you responsibly harvested, wild-caught Alaskan seafood. The fish is in season and reflects the limits of nature. You even know who caught the fish. It's right on the box. Sign up today. I did. Use promo code Mike25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, all promises, promises. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show <laughs> with Peggy Malachi. You're just asking for a 60-degree day so you can go golf. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I go golf, and I'll get somebody on, on Facebook who calls me a hypocrite because I go out and golf. Oh, come on. There you go. Uh, but I'll take them on, believe me. Uh, we're talking to Dan Gibbs, the Chicago Backyard Farmer. We should give a plug right now before we forget to the Chicago Community Gardeners Association annual conference, which is the 21st of March. Connections through gardening, plants, people, and the environment. And where is it? That is going to be at Whitney Young Magnet High School, which is at... It's in my neighborhood. I could ride my bike there. 211 South Laughlin Street. Uh-huh. In Chicago. So um, it's a great conference. You'll learn a lot. Are you going to be there, Dan? Um, I will most likely be there, correct. Um, Although Dan is doing his uh, presentation this Saturday, and that's March 7th at the... 14th. Oh, no. It's 7th. 7th. Yeah. Make make a note, the 7th. (laughs) Get off this show. We're done. All right. Uh, no, it's the seventh at the yeah. uh, four forty five North Sacramento in Chicago, and it, and again, it's for community gardens. Yeah, and you can so, go to chicagocommunitygardens.org for, for all, all the that information specifics. All right. Yeah, let's get to specifics because uh, this is what I you know 
I don't want to miss the launch window this year. So what plants do I want to think about? Should I and and which can I start outdoors? Which should I start indoors? So I I think you know a lot of people you know if you could you know wrap your brain around in the springtime what are those items that you really like to eat and you know that always helps you kind of narrow it down but the the items that do very well in the cool weather outside straight planted into the soil are going to be your salad mixes. Your, you know, there are going to be um, short day spinach varieties, you know, that are going to be anywhere from 38 to 42 days from planting to harvest. Um, there are going to be different radish varieties that are a lot of fun, very colorful, great to eat and love the spring weather. Um, outside of those items that grow very quickly in the soil, what you're going to want to be doing is... Um, getting some items prepared to transplant out, but starting them inside because they these are items that won't necessarily germinate reliably in the cool outside dirt, but once they've germinated, they'll grow well. So germinating them inside and uh, giving them a little bit time to to get some strength before bringing them outside will open up you know your chances to plant you know all different kinds of beets. You'll be able to plant kohlrabi. You know different members of the cabbage family. There's a, a cabbage variety called Arrowhead, which is a great spring cabbage. You know, you know, real nice to eat fresh, but it's very fast. And so what you're what you're going to want to be doing is thinking about what could you grow in the spring that's fast, um, you know, <laughs> you know, thirty-five to forty-five days yeah. from from mm-hmm. planting to harvest. So you're saying mixes your your salad, your lettuce mixes. Uh, you can direct sow your spinach. You can direct sow. What Correct. about snap peas? You know, snap peas are a great thing to direct sow. Kind of once you start getting towards the you know beginning to mid April, so that they'll be germinating. Um, a little bit later on. Snap peas love the cool weather for germination, but if you have any kind of severe frost or mm-hmm. you know, long frost or freeze, they won't make it. Uh-huh. So it, 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 you're, you're kind of got a little bit of a balancing act when it comes to the peas, but you do want to get them in early. All right. And what are the ones, uh, the list of ones that you want to germinate uh, indoors to get ready? Yeah. So I like, uh, you know, anything in the onion family. Um, you know, some people like to, you know, have ongoing scallions. Um, some people like to have the long day, like those, the big Vidalia type or Walla Walla type, you know, baseball size, anything in the onion family is going to do well if you can germinate it inside. But then once they're outside, they're, they're very hardy plants. And leeks too. And leeks. Leeks are another great one. Those are good for, I've had luck with those indoors and moving them out. Correct. And, you know, whether you're doing it in a Dixie cup or in um, a, a sheet of, of, you know, small trays, you know, you could just plant anywhere four, five, six, seven onion seeds in the same cell. You plant onions the same way you would want to harvest them. So when you, when you, Eat scallions. You're not going to eat one at a time. You're picking out seven or eight. So plant them I that don't way. Know. <laughs> depends on your recipe and depends who you are and depends on how intolerant you are of onions. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, one of the things I have, I have the walking onions mm-hmm. in my yard, and I love them because they're perennials. Okay. And so I can take a shoot of a walking onion, which is like a scallion. Right. I mean, okay, I, I know that there's sophistication to this. 
in some ways, an onion is an onion is an onion, mm-hmm. especially the shoot. It you know like a scallion, and, you, and if I throw a walking onion shoot into my salad, I can't tell the difference mm-hmm. between that and other types of onions that might be annual versions. Sure. Sure. And those walking onions that you're speaking of have a real nice long window while that shoot is green and yes, soft. Yes, and, they do. But you get outside that window and it gets becomes very woody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, like some of the garlic scapes too. It's exactly the same thing, right? The, the allium family kind of yeah. does that. So, um, you know, for your your onions, your walking onions that are coming back year after year, you have kind of a window where you know. You could be harvesting those, but then maybe if you want to have continued onion sets as the growing season grows on, you could time it you know that way. So let's let's ask the expert here. What have you got going, and what do you anticipate putting in uh, around the end of the month? I would guess uh, not. You know, folks, it's still March first. Okay, you, right. You need to know, and that's the good news because you've got time. Get stuff right. germinating indoors if you need to, or get the seed prepared for direct so later uh you know and we part of the problem is you have to listen to rick DeMaio. you have to know what the weather you have to look mm-hmm. and see you know we he talked about 2012 remember uh at, at the beginning of april we had like eight 80 day degree mm-hmm. days in a row mm-hmm. uh if you miss that you missed a ch- an opportunity to get stuff in the ground right away right exactly and uh, you know for me for this time of year I do like to have um, some onion sets started inside. You know, back in the old days when I was actually farming, I would be starting um, the big 108-day type onions, you know, in the end of February. And they would be my first things that I would be seeding. The greenhouse would still get cold at night, but they germinated well and you got a good head start. But for me, uh, beets, salad, arugula, spinach – um, you know, getting some short day carrots. My fiance Sarah is a big fan of kohlrabi. I like to have plenty of kohlrabi in the ground. Um, but I'm you know, so sorry to hear that. Yeah, tell me, tell me why. Not, <laughs> not a fan. Uh, it's raw, matchsticked with some salt. Oh, yeah. okay. I guess it's okay. I mean, I, lo- I love the plant or, itself. Or the it's, it's, it's it's an interesting. Uh, it's you know a fascinating plant, sure. fascinating looking plant. Especially the purple ones are like little aliens. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I was just kind of making a joke, but go ahead. Yeah. But I so, love the idea of beets. Yeah. Get those oh, yeah. going, you know. Beets are great. And there's so many different varieties that, you know, getting those, whether you start those inside where you're planting groups or, you know, you can get them in the ground. They're, they're very hardy as well. Just like Swiss chard. Um, and then. What about kale? You know, I like to – kale you can do in the spring or fall very well. It doesn't like the hot, hot weather. I like kale more in the fall myself because I really do like to give um, the plant a lot of time out mm-hmm. there. It's interesting. I think – and I'm watching my plants. I think my kale is going to overwinter this year. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty I've, sure. I've got one that it's like winter never happened. Right. Yeah. It's such a tough plant, and, and it I know. can take a hard freeze. And sometimes you get a second season out of it, which right. is so cool. And I've also got uh, uh, the uh, Rob, yeah. Rockley Rob, yeah. which 
I've had growing now for five straight years. It's not mm-hmm. supposed to be a perennial, and I don't know what's going on, but it comes back reliably each spring now, and I have no clue what that's all about. need to save some seeds for Yeah. That. I mean, is it, it must just be either reseeding itself or – No, you know, it's the same plant. It's what the same happens plant. To the plant, it comes off the shoots of the mm-hmm. same plant. I'm like, wow. this is not supposed to happen. Now it is in the warmer part of the yard, but I don't know. All right, well we're 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 about out of time, folks. Again, you can go to uh, ChicagoCommunityGardeners.org. Um, you can go to uh, ChicagoBackyardFarmer.com. Correct. Uh, and find out more, or you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Uh, again, uh, you're going to be back on the show, and we will be talking more about. Uh, what's going on during the growing season. This is just your early warning system. Correct. Let you know. Uh, but again, you'll be presenting for Community Gardens uh, next Saturday at 930 at what used to be the Chicago Center for Green Technology. Who knows what it's called right now. Uh, thank you so much, Dan Gibbs, for being on the show. And thank you for your work with Sego. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Rick DeMaio weather coming up. Chicago's first factory-farmed animal welfare town hall is coming to Dovetail Brewery on Wednesday, March 11th. Crate Free Illinois presents the powerful film Carnivore's Dilemma. This is Mike Novak, and I'll host a panel of animal welfare leaders from groups like the Humane Society, Mercy for Animals, and Food and Water Watch. We'll talk about where your meat comes from and whether it's possible to achieve social justice for family farms. Go to CrateFreeIL.org. Our last best hope for saving this unique fragile blue orb is the power of we. And it comes to Chicago from March 6th through 15 in the form of the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival. 26 films, 48 events, four counties. It's family friendly with screenings for children as young as age three. Venues include Navy Pier, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, the Chicago Cultural Center, and more. Be part of the Midwest premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. All right, music down. Here we go. I'll take the music down. And uh, uh, we are uh, uh, in the hunt for meteorologist Rick DeMille. That's the name of our new film. Um, <laughs> We're entering it next year. The hunt for Rick DeMille. Oh, and there he, <laughs> there he is in the nick of time. Let's bring in meteorologist Rick DeMille. Good morning, Mr. Rick. Yeah, good morning, Mr. Mike and Miss Peg. How are you? So- good. Good. Uh, great presentation. Happy, happy March. Happy, happy March. March. Yes. Happy March. And we have Mr. Dan in the studio as well. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Oh. Chicago yeah, backyard gardener. Oh, congratulations! Um, you'll, <laughs> you'll get pretty busy in the next few weeks, right? Right, Dan. It's it's already starting to perk up. So are yeah, we? Uh, are we looking at uh, a, a trend here, Rick? You know what? I, I hate to call one week. A trend in the, in the, in the at the end of February and early March, uh, and the only reason why I say that is the pattern still has a lot of waves in it. You often hear me talk about like a five wave pattern or a six wave pattern or a seven wave pattern. So if you look at the globe from you know a bird's eye view or a satellite view from the North Pole, 
there's actually seven different waves uh, across the northern hemisphere. And wherever there is a wave, you typically have an area of low pressure develops, and that usually means rain to the south, snow to the north. What the, what the planet right now, at least the northern latitudes, is lacking um, is Arctic air. Now, that doesn't mean that you still can't get Arctic air. The only thing is that you don't get a lot of it, and it doesn't get that far south. So similar to what we saw around here last, um, if you remember, uh, last spring, we had a really, really cold pattern set up in the middle of March. And then we got into some extremely active weather where we had either a lot of rain or snow followed by a lot of cold. Um, and in the end, even though the month of April had intense degrees of variability, when you look at it on the whole from a 30-day pattern, it was actually near normal temperature-wise. I don't think we're heading into that type of pattern this year only because there's less cold air to the north. So what I am looking at is the trend to be at least less cold, less snow, but still high degrees of variability of warmth and coolness uh, with also wetness as well. So one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of leading back to, the question was, is this a trend? Two weeks ago, it looked like we were going to get into some active winter weather across the middle of the United States, meeting, you know, places like Nebraska, Iowa, northern Illinois, which meant snow. Now it looks like that pattern is going to set up a little bit further to the north, so maybe like Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, and into Wisconsin, so it does appear that we're heading towards more, if you want to say, seasonal warmth, which means temperatures in the 40s and 50s. And as we all seen around here in the month of March, you could easily get a 60 or a 70, and then about two or three days later get snow. And I think that's kind of where we're going. Um, seasonal weather, a couple of spikes of a lot of warmth, but nothing really in the way of any polar air that's going to produce some snow. So if I would be a betting man, Mike and Dan and Peg, I would say the chances of us getting a significant snow event between now and the middle of March looks extremely low, and between now and the end of March is probably better than less than 50% at this point. All right, and it sounds like, you know, without the Arctic air, we were talking earlier about what, what things you can plant in your garden and get away with uh, early in the season, when you get snow, that's not a problem. If it's snow, right. if yeah. It, yeah, if it's snow and thirty-two degrees or even thirty degrees, that's not a that's not an issue. It's a problem if you get into twenty-five for over an extended period and there's no snow on top of it, mm -hmm. and that that will wipe out yeah. your your early garden. But it sounds like what you're telling us, you know, and I know there are no guarantees here. It sounds like you right. might you might be able to take a chance in the middle of the month, depending on what you're seeing at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think that's a great point. And also, um, I think we've seen in the past that you can get super warm weather and everything bloom out, and then you get a four or five inch snow, and the, you know the tender the tender plants this time of the year uh, may lose their flowers, but they'll still make it through, um, you know, whatever harsh winter weather conditions we have for a brief period of time. But again, when you go back and look at what we had around here last year, we had some really really cold air in the month of March. Mm -hmm. And that always pretends to show itself in central sections of Canada. And right now, I just don't see that happening. So the chances of having super cold weather are low. The chances of having any extreme events from a standpoint of snow, I think, are low as well. So, yeah, you want to go ahead and take a chance? 
I think uh, I think the odds are in your favor. And by the way, I gotta I gotta give you credit, and I don't know if I should be giving you credit because last week uh, you said on the show that you didn't see a big snow event here, and then of course everybody no. everybody was talking about snowmageddon, <laughs> and then nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, so well, go ahead. Do, do I have a, Do I have a quick twenty seconds? So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Rokon has yeah. Rokon has me on the show. Um, pretty much. What was it? Wednesday? No, it was Monday night. Rokan had me on Monday night. Um, he just had Demetrius Ivory on, who does the noon show on WGN. And in the background, you heard Tom Skilling's forecast as well. And here I'm, I'm listening to this, waiting to come on, and I hear, and the forecast from Tom Skilling, four to eight inches locally, ten in some spots. And Demetrius Ivory also talked to Rokan earlier and is going four to eight. And I'm thinking they're going... All right, I have one to two of a forecast. How do I diplomatically and professionally disagree with them? <laughs> and 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 I I had to. Ro says, okay, so this time tomorrow we're gonna have this 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 and that. I'm like, Ro, do you want to hear my forecast? He goes, yeah. I'm like, and this is what it is. He goes, oh, that's not what they're saying. I go, I know that, but most likely the weather maps that they were discussing with you earlier have kind of changed a little bit. So this is what I think the overall consensus yeah. is. You, and, and that's and that's kind of hard to do because you know no disrespect to Tom or Demetrius, but the pattern was setting up a little bit further south. But word to the wise, any of you buddy meteorologists out there listening to uh, someone talk about someone else's forecast, it's never good to diss them because you never know when you're going to be on the other side of the coin. Just nicely and diplomatically <laughs> and professionally yeah. say. At this point, things have changed. And then you move on. Yeah. Because you never know when it comes back to bite you. you got to be really careful about that. Oh, I know we only have a couple of seconds here, but one thing you brought up yesterday at, when you were at the Wave Film Fest was these models aren't taking in the temperature of the lake either. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's something that's really interesting to note, Peg, because one of the things that um, we're going to look at when we, when we go to, I'm going to actually the AMS meeting Monday night at the College of DuPage, and one of the mesoscale forecasters uh, from Kansas City is going to be there talking about some of the updates. And I think he's going to probably address that situation is what to do with an increasingly warmer surface mm-hmm. temperature of the lake, where what you typically do is you take in what's called climatology and you build that in. Because otherwise, it's really hard to get really good observations of the lake All right. during the winter got, time. Got to go, Rick. You don't have, when you don't have blueies. Okay. Right, see you guys. Talk to you next week. You bet. Take care. I want to thank everybody on the show from the One Earth Film Festival, Dan Gibbs, everybody in the control room. Until next time, go green or go home. Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.